is Esta Semana in Bourbon. That's Spanish for It's This Week in Bourbon. And here's your headlines for October 28th, 2022. Master distiller Lisa Wicker is leaving Widow Jane. The National Association of Wine Retailers is taking another shipping case to the Supreme Court. And the details have finally been released for this year's highly anticipated Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. But before we get started, here's a quick word from our partners. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Hey everybody, welcome back this week in bourbon. It's a very special this week in bourbon because I typically am always kind of sitting here alone when Ryan's out of town and he's in Spain, which is kind of why I had that Spanish opening or yeah, I guess you'd say Spanish opening. But now I'm joined by Fred. Fred's here to help me with this week in bourbon. Yeah, what's up, Rotato? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I mean, this is a, it's funny because usually when we get together and we record, it's very much... Uh, evergreen because when we're recording right. a podcast, you know, mm-hmm. we can't talk about anything topical because odds are anything we record is going to be released about four months later. So this time we get to be kind of really hitting with it on all cylinders because we know what the news has been happening for the past 72 hours and mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be very, oof. very much on fire. And there has been some meat on the bone for that juicy bourbon barbecue up in here. There's a lot to talk about. That's for sure. Oh, I know, I know. We'll we'll get to it, but for everybody that is wondering, Ryan's actually he's celebrating his tenth anniversary uh, this weekend or this week in Spain. So he's been able to kind of go and do that, and he's getting some uh, ideas for architecture and some other kind of cool things that that we've kind of got cooking up and stuff like that too. But those are those will save for another day when we start talking about other press releases that come out. But let's go ahead and uh, let's get kicking into it here. So. Yeah, so the Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Tour, now celebrating its 10th anniversary, 
and it continues to grow rapidly with the addition of Whiskey Thief Distilling Company in Franklin County, and that's going to be its 24th stop. Now, in 2012, Whiskey Thief Distilling was founded and operating under a more recently named of the Three Boys Farm Distillery, and the new owner, Walter Zalsch, he acquired the Franklin County site at 283 Crab Orchard Road around two years ago, and he set his sights on joining the craft tour. So visitors to Whiskey Thief Distilling Company can enjoy an informative and casual bourbon experience, sampling from several brands of uncut and unfiltered bourbon, and even get a own bottle of their favorite to take home. The back patio and cocktail bar surrounded by the corn grown and using the bourbon allows guests to relax and enjoy the scenic Kentucky landscape. So have you been to Three Boys yet? Uh, I have. Uh, I was there prior to... Uh, prior to the new ownership, I mean, very, 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 very early on. And, um, I, I remember thinking that it was very well situated in a good place to attract the tourism. And I know they're going to be very aggressive there, uh, on, on the trail side. But the one thing that I keep hearing from people with palates I respect is that that whiskey's good. I keep oh, hearing that from know. people. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard there's either they distilled their own, there's some source stuff in there. I have no idea. I have yet to go. Oddly enough, I'm fraternity brothers with Walter Zausch. Like, I've I've met him before. We actually were in wow. not only just the same fraternity, literally at UK, we were in the same building, but we were just separated by a few different years. And so okay. it's one of those things that I've got to, I've got to reach out to him and, and figure out you know, what he's doing and come and check it out because I've heard a lot of good things out there about, mm -hmm. it's one of the few ones that you go on the trail and you go to Michter's, you go to Heaven Hill and it's very, you know, you put the bottle underneath the spout, you pull the yep. lever and it fills it up and if people are loving it. They dig it. And that is also a very, I guess, I wouldn't say kind of a Disney World kind of experience versus when you go to probably Three Boys and you're just taking it out of the thief into the bottle which is probably about as raw and organic as you get. Yeah, and I remember when they first um, when they were first doing that, uh, there was some questions of the legality of it and all that. There's always someone causing a stink in this world, and uh, now that's not an issue anymore because of the recent laws passed. But I I think that this is they're so they're so important for uh, for the modern landscape of of bourbon because. You can only have so much Heaven Hill and Buffalo Trace, you know, until you're exhausted with that stuff. And so if you don't have something that's a little bit more intimate, a little bit more um, craft, if you will, and, you know, it's it's bad for the tourism. So it's I'm really glad to see them putting so much effort into it. And I'm I'm excited. I'm, ex I'm really excited. For, I'm bummed that I didn't get to go to their opening. I had an event that night. So... Um, yeah, they're going to be up to good stuff. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine that we're going to see a lot of good things coming out of them. And you're right. When you start thinking about the trail and what people are doing, it is it is full of the big boys. That's mm -hmm. pretty much what people are going around. And every once in a while, you got to say, oh, yeah, you got to sprinkle in. There's a, there's a place called Peerless down the street and some other places you should go and check out. So those things tend to get lost in the shuffle when when you see on the shelf, there's 90% of bourbons all come from the same you know, seven places. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets, um, it can get, so many people are frustrated, you know, that they, they can't get what they want. I'm like, well, there's a lot of variety out there, you know, exercise palate variety and uh whiskey thief, I think is going to be a part of that, a part of that formula. And, you know, Kentucky Peerless has a lot of fans. They have a lot of fans 
And they don't taste anything like Buffalo Trace or Heaven Hill. And uh, I think, you know, Whiskey Thief is going to be right there in that. Uh, Kentucky Pale is a very good comparative, I think, uh, for, for what they're going to be. For sure. All right. So let's uh, let's keep going here. Speaking of other new distilleries that are kind of popping up, there is also a new one coming, and it's going to be in Adairville, Kentucky, called B.H. James Distillers. And so Sean McCormick, he's the owner and founder. He proudly announces the opening date of his distillery in Adairville, Kentucky, going to be on Saturday, November 5th, 2022. And he's excited to open this distillery as it is because between there and Logan County, they've been his home for and his family for more than 130 years. And I know that Sean's actually a, a big listener of the podcast too. So Sean, if you're listening, here, cheers, buddy. This is for you. So a ribbon cutting will be held on November 4th with officials from the city and the county, along with members from the business community. The products currently being distributed and produced by BH James Distillers will be available to purchase starting 11 a.m. On the, on, until 5 p.m. on the 5th. The distillery will have small retail bottle shop open on Thursdays through Saturdays, and products will also be distributed by Heritage Wine and Spirits starting first in Western Kentucky and then throughout the Commonwealth. Initially, BH James Distillers will produce two spirit brands. The namesake brand is Burton James Uniquely American Whiskey. The flagship whiskey is crafted from a variety of source premium American whiskeys. Each batch is comprised of five to seven hand-selected barrels that are married to create a unique and delightful expression of American whiskey. Their very first batch of whiskey is Burton James Uniquely American Whiskey and is aptly named Rookie Season Opener. It's a blend of three types of American whiskey, a bourbon that's 7.7 years old, that's a 21% rye content, that's 35% of the blend, a bourbon that's 6.9 years old of 36% rye content, around 28% of the blend, a rye whiskey that's 7.5 years old, that's 36.7, sorry, 37% of the blend, and light whiskey, 6.5 years old at 1.3% of the blend. 1,104 bottles were produced, proofed at 106.4, and has an SRP of $60. That was so, a mouthful. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But you know, like I said, I, I know that he's been a listener of the show and a fan for a very long time, so I'm excited yeah. to be able to see this. I got a chance to actually try this whiskey already. He sent me a initial test blend. He sent me a few different test blends. He said, which is your favorite? And mm-hmm. this was actually the favorite that I chose that he ended up going and, and making his his first run at it. So congratulations, Sean. Really cool to kind of see that uh, chasing after a dream there. And it's, uh, it's the based on a professional baseball player. Is that right? Uh, I think it was. Um, yeah. I can't, I can't recall back. There was, there was some other stuff. And uh, if I looked in the press release, there was some baseball stuff in there. There was, uh, he was a mayor at some point around there. There was a, there's a whole lot of history just behind that particular person, but I, I can't recall and put it all in there. Yeah. I, so I'm on the website now and, um, and his uh, great, great grand, his great grandfather, uh, Burton Hulon, Hulon, Hulon James, which is the BH, Played professional baseball from 1908 to 1919. So uh, before, um, and then he made Adairville uh, his permanent home. Yeah. And he's got he, a signed baseball card up there. Was he a Yankee? Yeah, it doesn't say who he played for. You know, maybe a it's, defunct team? I don't know. Well, now I'm going to go to the Google for... <laughs> now, we uh, gotta, now we got to really look into this and figure out how legit was he? Be like, ah, who knows? I'm well, sure. Well, we're, we're in the middle of the uh, World Series, so... That's true. That's true. You so got, I feel you like got the uh, Astros or Phillies. What do you... Okay, he's le- he's legit got... Uh, oh, my... He was born in Cooperstown, Tennessee. 
He's got a Wikipedia page, and he went by. They got him listed as Burt James. Okay, so he was an outfielder in uh, Major League Baseball. He played for uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. There we go. Yeah, and then he had um, he played six games with the St. Louis Cardinals. Had six hits at twenty one bats. And then he got moved to minor league uh, through 1919, primarily in the Texas League. But, I mean, my man had a had a cup of coffee with the St. Louis Cardinals in, uh, in uh, 1909 during September. So, big times. It's always it's always kind of cool to see. You get a brush with, with fandom there and you get a, a brush at the hitting it big. I mean, back then, like, if you, if you made it that far... Uh, that was amazing. So let's see where they finished in 1909. <laughs> You're really gonna go deep with this. <laughs> like, I'm a former I'm a former sports writer. I get into this. Stuff. I guess oh, so. Yeah. That's what I was, I was like, man. Yeah. I don't know. I was like, at this point, I feel that the mystery's already been solved. But you would have. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're I'm, like, I'm we're gonna go on. see what his 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 RBI and his batting percentage was. Well, he was 286 in the majors, but uh, at, at any rate, that's a it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool addition. And I you know we actually don't have a lot of. Uh, what's interesting about the baseball connection is that there used to actually be a semi-pro team made out of distillers and uh, um, and you know barrel workers, and one of the uh, like a major manager was born out of uh, born out of those leagues from Bernheim, and he went on to manage like Pee Wee Reese, you know, so uh, like a Hall of Famer. So there was some there was an actual baseball talent in the distilling industry. So I've always wondered why we don't see more more uh, baseball-related uh, bourbons. So I'm actually excited about this because you get on the website and there's a leather glove there with a, an old leather glove and a signed baseball card. So that gets me all giddy. For this is information that Ryan and I never would have had for the podcast. So you, you, <laughs> the, amount, the amount of information you've been able to gain a knowledge of just like random baseball facts that go into bourbon, never would have had it. Yeah, you know, I have nothing else to do with my life other than you know, <laughs> read old a, distiller records. It's a lot of toilet reading for you. <laughs> Did you say toilet reading? Toilet reading, yeah. What else do you do? You take those 90 dumps where you just sit there and do nothing? No, man. You get this stuff at archives. You can't be taking <laughs> like, you know, you know, they would, you know, if you've ever messed with an archivist, they will stab you. You try to take uh, their paperwork into the toilet. Oh, okay. You got to bring the white leather gloves out. Or not the white leather. The white yeah, that, leather, the soft gloves. and Yeah, they don't do that anymore, but uh, they used to. No. Yeah, it's uh, they get intense. Like the, the other day, we were opening a box, and I opened it wrong, and they called me out for it. So <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. What's done is done. It's now new yeah. damage. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, speaking of damage, let's let's get to some some reports of people doing some stuff wrong here. So mm-hmm. the Federal Trade Commission has ordered Drizzly to destroy unnecessary data after alleging the company's inadequate security measures that led to a data breach back in July 2020, which affected around 2.5 million consumers. And according to the FTC, in 2018, Drizzly employee posted company login details on the software development platform called GitHub. As a result of this security breakdown, hackers were able to use Drizzly servers to start mining cryptocurrency until the company changed its login information. The FTC alleged that Drizzly failed to take steps to address its security problems while publicly claiming to have appropriate security protections in place. Two years later, a hacker breached an employee account and the company's database and then stole customers' information. 
The proposed order also includes restricting future data collection and retention and binds Drizzly CEO James Corey Rellis to specific data security requirements. Rellis was ordered to comply to specific data security requirements after the FTC, FTC accused him of overseeing and engaging in what they quoted unlawful business practices. That's deep. Yeah, do you remember we had that guy on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, he was Mr. Rellis was on the show. We I, actually that was one of my favorite ones of recent history, just to kind of talk and figure out exactly how the business model worked and what mm-hmm. they were doing and, and how they were making it different. And yeah, this was a. Uh, I even saw in this news article that even if Corey leaves Drizzly, that he is bound by the FTC to go and even implement new security practices at whatever he goes to next. So it's it's so bad that they saw this as such a a lack of responsibility on him that this mm-hmm. is going to tail him for the next few years. Well, it's crazy. That would have been happening while we had him on the show too. Um, you know, <laughs> like, why didn't we press uh, harder? <laughs> if only we knew, but no, actually we, we, when we did interview him, I remember him feeling a little uncomfortable. We did press him pretty hard on, uh, on data related things. I'll have to go back and listen to that episode, but I thought that was one of the, one of the best interview jobs we did because you had the tech side and, uh, I was coming at him from like, uh, you know, what's going on? What are the cell? What's the data? What's the real sales data kind of thing? And lo and behold, all that was happening. And by the way, I I get, you know, I work closely with their PR team to get their data from sales and, you know, do videos and post about it. And I just, when this came out, man, I was like, holy shit, this is scathing. You know, usually it's like American Airlines you see something like this with, but not in our industry. And uh, I, I think this is a major, major loss for the wholesalers, you know, so the wholesalers have been relying on Drizzly this whole time in this in this battle for sh- against shipping, and um, you know, lo and behold, this is happening, and, and the FTC doesn't step up for just anything, you know. I mean, this is big. This is really big. I, I agree. I mean, it says that, and I I got to look at it from like the angle that I usually come with it as well is that when you can collect data, hey, you just collect data. Who knows if you're going to use it if you're not going to use it. And the unfortunate thing is that the way that this was positioned is that they were collecting too much data on mm. people and yeah. their transactions and stuff like that. That wasn't I pretty much necessary to to run the business. So it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that maybe you just don't know until you know. I hope mm. it wasn't malicious, but, you know, it's it's maybe one of those things that even when, I think the, maybe the big, big point was, is even though they found the issue they just kind of kept sweeping it underneath the rug saying that eh, it's not an issue. It's not a big deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, 2.5 million people, like their account information got stolen. Well, here, here is the one positive on the bright side of this is that, you know, Drizzly's the, the amount of information you input in Drizzly, it, it's limited to, you know, your email address, your address and your, you know, maybe a credit card. You're not getting your socials or any your any of that kind of stuff on there. And while those items that are up could have been up for grab and stolen and sold and the, or whatever is done with that stuff, well that well that's bad. I mean, it it, it to me it is because um, I have I have all those protections. I get I get notified if if anything of mine gets on the dark web or anyone associated with me. 
including you, Kenny. Uh, gets, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got stuff that you don't know about. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Uh, crooked Toes pops up every now and then under uh, you know some uh, some dark web action. So, uh, by the we way, that's we don't his, talk about that on here. That's, that's his secret handle for everything, everybody. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> he, uh, I, I, I don't think it'll be the end of Drizzly. I, I guess that's oh, where I no. was, where I was going with that. Was that it's bad? The FTC is going to slap them hard. They're going to get sued out of this. Uh, but it, it won't be the end of Drizzly. And if anything, you know, Drizzly will learn their lesson and do better, hopefully. Yep. Well, here's another, I guess you would probably call it a, a slap on the wrist, is that Screwball Spirits, they, of course, promote Screwball. It's that peanut butter whiskey that has pretty much blown up over the past two to three years. And they promote a lot through various social media channels. And recently, the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, otherwise we say Discus, They've issued a decision in response to a complaint that alleged that some of Screwball's social media posts violated their code of responsible practices for beverage alcohol advertising and marketing. The Discus code says that marketers must use best efforts to ensure that advertising is placed in media where at least 71.6% of the audience is reasonably expected to be 21 or older. In the decision, Discus determined that Screwball had placed social media ads in violation of the code. The Discus code also says that advertising or marketing materials should not portray beverage alcohol being consumed by a person who is engaged in or is about to engage in any activity that is illegal or requires a high degree of alertness or physical coordination, such as driving a vehicle. Here, the complaint argued that Screwball violated this standard by posting photos on Instagram that showed people on pool floats and in swimming suits sitting beside the side of a pool. While Discus acknowledged that the posts don't show the explicit consumption of Screwball whiskey, they concluded that the photos violated their code. Finally, the code also says that the content of beverage alcohol advertising and marketing materials should primarily appeal to individuals 21 years or older. Here, the complaint changed that some of the brand's Instagram videos, called Screws Clues, played off the well-known show of Blues Clues. In addition to the similar-sounding title, various elements of the video, such as the main character's striped shirt and the animated environment, potentially called to the show as well. Upon receipt of the complaint, the advertiser has removed their Instagram and TikTok posts, and reference to the complaint, and as well as discontinued their TikTok brand account. Mm. You know, you know me. I am very cautious with all this stuff. I always talk about like how brands got to do a better job of, you know, not violating this particular uh, code because, you know, for some background or why this code is so important is to bring up the Federal Trade Commission again. They do not. Um, you know, the, the FTC and the TTB don't actually police the, don't police this stuff. They pass it off to, you know, under the Federal Alcohol Administration Act, it's passed off to the industry to police this. And if, if it gets so bad, then the federal government comes in. So when people say like, well, this is just a trade group or whatever, it's actually a strong enough body that the federal government, you know, trusts to police itself so the industry is supposed to police itself when it comes to advertising uh and the whole point is, is so we never have a prohibition again so if you have if you are marketing to children for example with bibs like so like if you went to a distillery and they had jim beam uh baby bibs while we may think that's cute they, someone could perceive that as marketing, marketing to a child, um, in the same vein as like uh, Joe Camel, and so that's why that's why they they exist. That being said, 
I do not feel that this is as egregious as it is being made out to be. Are we not supposed to have advertisements uh, of alcohol around a pool? Oh, dude, that was going to be my thing. I I looked at this and I said, isn't that High Noon's entire marketing campaign? I is mean, that I, it's it's on around beach, it's around water, it's all that sort of stuff. I mean, talk to uh, they're not a spirit, but talk to Corona. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't if if you took away water and beaches from Corona, I don't think they have a leg to stand on. Uh, <laughs> I, I just so how these how these can t- how these can often work is like you have someone who makes a complaint that is a member, and it sounds to me like they made a a case not just on one advertisement but on screwball overall and even like the what they call it screw clues screws that, that, clues yeah screws clues i mean i i, I even think that's pushing I, I i think if you would, wanted to take a a deep dive into all the all the spirits social media you're going to see a lot of people uh promoting uh like hey it's five o'clock somewhere hey uh it's a good time to have bourbon you know you know you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of that and if they're going to be nitpicky about like a pool, I mean, I could take that same argument, uh, that same style, and, and apply it ag- across a lot of them. So I don't know. I think someone probably made a complaint here that didn't like Screwball. I don't know, but uh, they're if this is if this is going to be their new uh, measuring stick of what is against the violation of the code, then a lot of brands are in for trouble, and they may be tightening up regulation. Or, or with self policing because of all the efforts to uh, invoke uh, cancer warning labels and all of these things that are kind of going on behind the scenes and, and lobbyist groups from health organizations. So, this could be a way that they're trying to police themselves beforehand. And let's bear in mind, too, Diageo just left. They just left Discus, largest spirits company in the world, just left. So, you got to ask yourself, is that. Could that be one of the reasons why, you know, they're yeah. starting to get more intense? I'm, I'm looking at this like a 50-50 thing. I get it. I get some of these things. I'm totally on board with you that the whole pool thing, absolutely ridiculous. The other part of this is that Screwball, you know, to their to the, to the, the better judgment of them, they agreed, they abided, they removed the post. Yep. They said, you know, we'll discontinue the TikTok account. Now- Here's the thing is that this is this is not a governing body. This is something that's just a trade body. They did, they could have just said screw off, piss off, we're going to do this on our own. You can't tell us what to do. But this goes into a larger I guess you could say a, a larger pool <laughs> for lack of a better term that says everybody's got to be on board because Discus is going to go and fight for everybody at the end of the day because whether it's, you know, one person that's trying to, you know, make it you know, as a bad apple, it's kind of kind of you know spoil the bunch, but they've got to think of the entire fleeting distilled spirits a, across the world and, and try yeah. to make sure that because if they're going to go and promote, uh, it, you know, or lobby for something, which for me, I was really surprised that Diageo was going to leave because it's like, what, what, why does that hurt you? Are you going to go lobby on your own? You should be able to just go and you know be a good player in this game. So uh, yes, yeah, so they are they are the trade lobby but they do have you know they kind of have this weird de facto you know power based on how the federal government handles this you know they don't have they don't have a 
you know, back in the back in the 1950s and 60s, there were people a part of the federal government that that did this. Like they would say, "Okay, this is out of line. You can't have someone holding a drink in this setting. Uh, you have to show me proof that you are actually the best-selling bourbon." You know, things like that happened, but they don't have that anymore. And so the federal government has given that control to the industry and for right or wrong discus has kind of become that governing body and and if they if if screwball were to were to like kick it back to them remember they took down kylie jenner you know you you take down a kardashian you can take down screwball <laughs> and and so that now that, we're just playing wiffle ball. We're playing wiffle no, no. ball is what it comes down to now. Was it Kendall Jenner or Kylie? I don't it was. Know. It was Kylie. It was Kylie. Kylie. Okay. Don't ask me how I know that. Uh, well, it's the one that has a tequila. Yes. Uh, and and she got taken down because she was drinking straight from the straw. And so, like, and, and by the way, this is a warning for anybody who gets in this game. If you drink straight from the bottle, uh, or from a straw from the bottle, and you own a bourbon brand or are connected to a bourbon brand, you will get. You will get your shit taken to you. Like that's gonna happen. But again, I don't think what Screwball did was egregious. That I, I the the Jenner one, I understood. I don't get this one with Screwball, and the fact that they didn't fight it just shows you how how uh, how powerful this uh, th- this code of of conduct is to the spirits industry. And when someone gets this, you know, it comes across their desk, you know, they're like, you know, it's presented to them of like, you're about to screw the entire industry, you know? So, um, and Screwball, I hate the stuff. It's disgusting, but it's an incredible company. They have an incredible following and uh, I have never seen them, you know, do anything that was, um, you know, close to being wrong. Whereas I can't say that for all flavored whiskeys. I've seen a lot of flavored whiskeys get really close to those, you know, college parties that you know, arguably didn't have anyone uh, or had people that were under twenty one. So I don't, I don't. Something happened. Some something else happened with Screwball that to cause this uh, uh, infraction, in my opinion, probably. And when we were looking over there, I was like, "Is it Kylie or is it Kendall?" So from what I can see, is that it, maybe it's Kendall Jenner's brand, but Kylie's the one that got in trouble because she was tipping it up and drinking in a picture. Oh. I don't know. Okay. We got a lot of news to go through, so let's keep going. So (laughs) while bourbon production in Kentucky has seen a heightened demand in recent years, leaders in the industry say that they are still being taxed unfairly, putting the state at a competitive disadvantage. And one of the ways distillers argue that they are taxed unfairly is the bourbon barrel inventory tax, which taxes aging barrels of the spirit years before is rendered into a finished product. However, the inventory tax goes directly towards funding social, or sorry, school districts at local levels in those counties that house the distilleries and the rickhouses. At the bourbon barrel tax, sorry, at the bourbon barrel taxation task force meeting on Friday in Frankfurt, whew, that's a mouthful. Co-chair <laughs> and representative Chad McCoy challenged stakeholders from local governments and from the distilling industry to seek solutions that would attempt to provide a relief for distillers while holding localities harmless or limiting damages to the budget of the school districts. According to the data from the Kentucky Distillers Association, Kentucky at one time housed nearly 24% of all distillers in the U.S. That figure has since decreased down to only 4% in 2021. 
With the rise in popularity of Kentucky's signature spirit, other states are entering the market and competing for distilling facilities, and a variety of options were weighed in from both sides, and including the idea of phasing out the barrel tax over a number of years to give local governments and school boards time to account and prepare for the loss of revenue. Stakeholders also discussed the potential of decreasing the rate in which barrels were taxed or potentially even sunsetting the tax 25 to 30 years down the road. The task force has one scheduled meeting remaining on the 2022 interim calendar, and that's going to take place on November 18th. Well, you know, I remember, I remember this, the, the, the subject of taxation is, is why bourbon began to unite in 2009 when they added a sales tax to them. The distillers went onto the uh, state capital steps and they poured bourbon uh, on the steps and they all just kind of agreed in unison that like never again. And they've been slowly peeling away at the level, high level of taxes that they get in the state. Uh, they did, they couldn't even write off their taxes. You know, like they would be getting taxed and they couldn't write off their taxes uh, that they were getting taxed on. And so that's the kind of stuff they've been slowly peeling away at. And, you know, kind of like behind the scenes, you know, they've been trying to get things going like a, like a tasting room. You know, 15 years ago, they couldn't have a tasting room in some areas. Uh, they, you know, now we have vintage bars. They couldn't have a vintage bar. I mean, they've been doing all of these things that have been growing tourism. And, you know, the danger with this one, and it was brought up, is that the, the ad valorem tax, which is the barrel tax, it's earmarked for the roads and schools of where those respective counties are. And you got school districts that are probably white knuckling this this one. Like Anderson County loses the 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 barrel tax money from Wild Turkey and Four Roses. That uh, that basketball post is going to start leaning uh, the wrong way. And um, you know, so I think that this is one. It's a it's a very fine line that the distillers have to walk. They cannot uh, pull out from uh, from the educational taxes. To me. That is PR that they want to keep. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, it's definitely for that. I think I've said on the show before that with as many barrels that are being created at this point, either in Anderson County or places in Nelson County, those roads should be paved almost 24 karat gold at this point because of, <laughs> because of how much taxes are being paid. Because they, they actually had a figure uh, last time we talked about it, about how many millions of dollars are actually going into it just because of these taxes. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what's going to happen. We'll We'll report back on November whenever, and we'll see if there's any anything to come I, out of it. I will say that the distillers, uh, with the efforts that we did for uh, helping the flood and tornado victims, raising nearly $5 million in, uh, in the Kentucky Bourbon Benefit Auction, which, you know, I helped organize with the KDA, you know, uh, and uh, as well as the Bourbon Crusaders and Westport Whiskey and Wine and Auctioneer Bill Minish for the tornadoes. There is, uh, uh, there, there's a lot of capital, and if there was ever a time to make this request, it's now, when the distillers can go into those chambers and say, well, your asses were over here not doing anything for Kentucky, we raised five million dollars. What the fuck did you do? You know, this is the this this industry. I feel like cares far more about Kentuckians and helping Kentucky than a lot of those legislators sitting in those uh sitting in those halls, twiddling their thumbs, doing absolutely nothing. So this is the time to strike if you're trying to 
get get uh, get a progressive way to get those off of the books at some point. Yep, and they're all kind of just basically playing the game to the next election cycle is is what they're doing. So it's definitely good mm-hmm. to see how Bourbon has stepped up to be able to change a lot of those things too. All right, so the Fraser Museum, uh, they're expanding their celebration of the bourbon industry, and they're starting a new program called Bourbon Limited. It's an mm-hmm. online bourbon subscription where service that offers exclusive bottlings and expressions from the greatest names in American whiskey. So once every two months, members can purchase in a limited edition bottle that is not available anywhere else. Each shipment is distinct from the previous one, and all of them will be produced in very small quantities, making them sought after for both their rarity and their taste. Due to the limited production of these rare bourbons, memberships will be limited, and the first bourbon limited delivery is scheduled in the first week of November and is Peerless Small Batch Reserve, drawn exclusively from the first three years of Peerless production. No-cost memberships are available at their website, bourbon.limited, and future shipments will include selects from Blue Run, Four Gate, Wilderness Trail, Bower Hill, Jay Mattingly, and more, with additional distillers joining the club later. Yeah, so I tasted the uh, the Peerless. It's very good. And uh, it would, I was going to say, I got a sample of it. I haven't cracked it open yet. Yeah, it's different than uh, than the normal flavor profile. Uh, but so one thing... Are you trying to say thing, it's different because it took them a little bit to finally find that flavor profile they wanted, and this is just like, yeah, we got to figure out what to do with these earlier batches. Uh, well, I, I've always thought that Peerless should have turned into a rye-only distiller. And then this is the this is the first bourbon that I've had was like, well, I'm glad they didn't listen to me. <laughs> so, you know, they're... The other ones, they're inconsistent. They've been inconsistent, but this one is is it's it's very good, and it's you know twenty barrels, so there's like going to be like five thousand bottles. But the one thing is like it's only available in Kentucky, and and the reason why is is the way the law, the way this is all set up. So this is all getting set up through the Frasers, like you know this is their club, but the actual when they when the credit card is processed for each one of these bottles. It's actually going to be done by the distiller, and and so like you actually get it shipped by the distiller within Kentucky, so it has to be you know that's why it has to be Kentucky, and the, all of these laws that are pounding on us as enthusiasts, you know, write your state representative or your congressman. I mean, it's it's ridiculous that if you want to join this club and you live in Rhode Island or or uh, Tennessee. Or Washington, you can't, you cannot do it. So the only way to get into this is if you have uh, whoever's filling the, out the information is a Kentucky resident with a Kentucky credit card. Yes, and so I guess as we're coming to election season, maybe sure you're, you know, uh, below all their marijuana laws and stuff like that, what they support, see what they think about bourbon shipping. We'll see if that's in their their list of uh, high priorities. Yeah, ma- by the way, marijuana is leapfrogging alcohol and everything. Holy smokes. Yeah. Like, uh, well, wow. it's because we have uh, a whole three-tier system that relies on basically where their next paycheck's coming from. So they don't want to... Nobody wants to shake the status quo. I think that's the mm-hmm. best way to put it. Yep. So here's the kind of the, the first headline that I talked about is that having recently celebrated their 10th anniversary, Widow Jane... They're announcing that their master distiller, Lisa Wicker, is going to be leaving the company in November and will return to Kentucky full time. Wicker says that after five incredible years at Widow Jane, which, man, it feels like it's been longer than that. She said, I'm excited to return home to Kentucky for a new challenge. In the last few years, we have made some amazing whiskey that has gained international recognition, established ourselves as a leader in the art of whiskey blending, and nurtured a talented team of distillers and blenders. I'm proud of this smart and capable team who will lead Widow Jane into the future and grateful for my time here. So 
I remember I saw this and I put out a, a TikTok mm-hmm. and a reel real quickly because my immediate, my immediate thought, I said, well, this is obvious. You look at where's the biggest hole that needs to be filled right now. And I thought it's got to be Maker's Mark. Yeah. <laughs> you got Denny leaving. Uh, you had Jane leaving. And when you, th- you saw that, it's like, oh, she can come in and probably do both of them. Because to be fair, you know, it's the master distiller. She's going to come in and she's going to be a, a she's going to know what she does, but she's going to be a big PR move. And mm-hmm. she's definitely can, can do that. But it didn't take more than probably an hour until Lisa commented on my video and said, I appreciate it, but I'm not going to make her smart. So that got debunked pretty quickly. Straight from the source, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so Lisa's an incredibly talented, uh, you know, her, her beginnings are in winemaking. She went on to work for a Limestone Branch and was there between 2013 and 15. And I, I really think, I've always wondered, like, what would have happened with Limestone Branch if she stayed there? But she went on to uh, Starlight, which, you know, now we... <laughs> We are like all in love with Starlight and a lot of those uh, whiskeys that we've tasted from the older stocks uh, are stuff that she made, you know? So the six year, anything that you would have like that's five, six years old, you know, she potentially distilled. Then she went to preservation for a short cup of coffee. And then of course went on to uh, Widow Jane where she had her longest stint. But I think, um, I think what you're seeing here is you're seeing you're seeing people looking for talent and there's just not a lot of talent to go around in the space. And she's definitely an A-lister when it comes to distillers. And I know you got, you got the juicy scoop of, of, uh, of where she went. So I'll let you share that buddy. Oh, well, I can't share that because that's a, uh, oh, that's a, that's an oh, insider thing. And, and by the way, that's, that little, was privileged. Okay. It's, it's privileged information. Yeah, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll kick it off and just say, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, when when the the time comes, I'm sure she'll announce it. Nobody mm. nobody's gonna be out of a job for a few months. I'm sure it'll be here in the next like week or two when something will announce, or she'll be able well, to announce whoever, exactly where she's going. Whoever got her is lucky because she's incredibly talented, um, and she could she could be the master distiller wherever she went. I Where, really wherever she wanted, she could be the master distiller. So the National Association of Wine Retailers, they have submitted a brief amicus curiae, and that's just me guessing, I think that's what it says, to the Supreme Court of the United States. So North Carolina is one of those several states that, while allowing wine shipments from in-state retailers and in-state wineries and out-of-state wineries, however, the attempts to protect its own retailers and wholesalers from competition, they are banning wine shipments from out-of-state retailers. In B-21 Wine versus Bauer, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the North Carolina law. It recognized as discriminatory by arguing that without such discriminatory law, North Carolina's three-tier system would be undermined, and with it, the public health and safety of its residents. The National Association of Wine Retailers asked the U.S. Supreme Court to recognize the importance of providing clarity to the alcohol industry and consumers. The brief asked the court to take up B-21 versus Bauer and rule whether discriminatory wine shipping laws such as North Carolina's can be justified and protected from the challenge by state merely asserting that the three-tier system of alcohol distribution protects the health and safety or if it must provide evidence to support this claim. So it's good to see just even more stuff being shaken up. I know this is still wine, yeah, but just being shaken up on the, the DTC side of things. 
my God, I feel like there's something all the time in this space. Like I can't keep up. And it's always like, and then you like talk to a lawyer like, well, actually this doesn't really cover, uh, you know, these types of shipments with this particular type of package, this only covered 750. So we have a whole new court case for 375s. You know, just there's so much, it's just always something. And, uh, you know, I just got to say, like, I'm, I hope in my lifetime we can see it where it's, uh, where it's across the board. But this is, this is no doubt another, another chink in the armor. Yeah. I'd like to see this only because I've, I think the real sticking point here was that the the court ruled that the three-tier system actually protects the public health and safety of its residents. And so they're challenging that, saying that is by limiting this direct-to-consumer from out-of-state retailers, is that really protecting the health and safety? And if I had to guess, no, it's not. This is just another roadblock by uh, the, the big people in the middle because everybody wants to kind of protect their turf. And that's- well, In that case, that's a, that's a control state, so- you know, they mm-hmm. want to protect that revenue Ooh, coming in true. and the, the taxes. So, um, you know, this is, I think it'd be cool if we went to the Supreme Court steps the day that this was being, uh, was, this was being argued and we oh, were God. there with our microphones going up we, to the lawyers saying, running up going, excuse me, excuse me, we got a question. And <laughs> it's, it's just two of us. Like nobody else gives a shit. <laughs> He's just like, why, as a matter of fact, yeah, we'd love to tell you about the wine law in North Carolina. Yeah, we we pictured in our head, it's like one of those murder mysteries that people are outside, there's a bunch of paparazzi, but no, it's just, it's just <laughs> me and Fred running up with microphones and headphones on, and like, <laughs> speaking of this one. Yeah, no. we're like, oh, uh, wrong, wrong lawyer. Oh, sorry, wrong one. <laughs> yeah. Over here. Oh, you're the side that lost, my bad. Over here. <laughs> So Jackson Purchase Distillery, they're a startup bourbon producer, and mm-hmm. they're going to increase their distilling operation investment in Fulton County to nearly $26 million and will create 54 full-time jobs. Jackson Purchase's project has grown from the initially planned investment of $8.76 million in 30 jobs. In April 21, the company's management group acquired an unused distilling facility established several years prior. To bolster the nearly complete distillery, company leaders immediately began an expansion that will involve purchasing additional land, constructing barrel storage, and making various upgrades throughout the facility. The positions that will be added are things like, uh, sorry, to, uh, they're going to assist master distillers Craig Beam and Terry Ballard. will include a mechanical engineer, quality control manager, plant manager, and other things like such as regulatory and compliance. The distillery will produce in excess of 60,000 barrels annually once fully operational. The company will provide third-party distilling services, catering primarily to mid-size and large customers, including brand-owned companies. And distilleries needing to add additional capacity to meet demand and companies that want to purchase new production for future third-party sales. Jackson Purchase Distillery also plans to dedicate a segment of its business to fulfilling smaller orders from craft distillers. The distillery will offer two to three different mash bills that will reflect the style of bourbon and rye typically produced in Kentucky. The company will also consider custom mash bills for larger, larger production runs. I don't know. I thought this was unique, but the idea that we're only going to do two to three mash bills um, and take it or leave it was kind of well. Different. You're kind of you're kind of spoiled though, Kenny, with what Bardstown Bourbon Company has done. And, but that I mean, that's how it used to be. And Craig, Craig Beam, and uh, the other other uh, other fellows from Willet, you know, Terry, they're not yeah. uh, they're not uh, you know they're not the new breed. They're old school. <laughs> they're yeah. like. 
you know, here's our rye, here's our bourbon. Don't like it? There's the door. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the best way to do it. I mean, that's kind of what Green River is. Green River it just has a few different mash bills, and you go and you just choose what's there. You don't you don't have a very much of a catered experience to it. Yeah. But it's it's interesting, and I, I this is not going to be the end of what we're going to see in just contract distillation only facilities that'll be popping up. And and there's a there's a lot more stuff that's on the horizon. It's just interesting to see exactly how I remember. God, it had to have been over a year ago, uh, yeah, April 21, uh, when I saw this coming online and I I thought, I was like, gosh, should we reach out to them? Is this something that looks interesting? But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you kind of sit back and wait because, I don't know, me, I'm kind of a really risk adverse person. So I don't want to say you mean you mean you mean like the brand your your brand Pursuit United that yeah, we're talking yeah, about yeah yeah and podcast. thinking okay. like oh yeah. yeah should we go there and see what their whiskey's mm-hmm. like but it's one of those things it's it's like I, I felt a lot more comfortable knowing that when I tasted Bardstown and everybody else's product that we we utilize in our blends I know what it tastes like in four years I know what I'm getting. I've tasted, and I know you've tasted a lot of four-year-old mm-hmm. whiskey and going, yeah, this is not ready yet. And so- it Ain't ready, yeah. The last thing you want to do is be like, well, it's now a seven-year-old product you got to wait on instead of four. Yeah, here, here's the here's the big wind of caution um, for Jackson Purchase and all these other distilleries popping up is where are you getting your labor that knows how to, you know, fill a barrel, turn the knobs, uh, and knows which pressure valve it is and how to operate the computer software. I mean, that's, that is the scariest thing for me of all of these, like, I'm excited for this, but what scares me more than anything is the spreading out of talent because these are not, these are not jobs. These are skilled jobs that you need two years of learning how to operate. Like you, you talk to Dan McKee from Michter's and he'll tell you about all the all the time he spent at the Booker No distillery just doing the the BS stuff. I mean, that prepared him to be a distiller. You know, and that was 17 years ago. So that those little things like that um are what make me nervous for the future of of the industry is like we're we got to make sure that we have the talent, you know, going in there. And Jackson Purchase, man, I believe in Craig Beam. I believe in that guy. Uh, Terry, I know a little bit, but I mean, I really believe in in Craig. Um, he's a very, I, I'm very good to great whiskey maker. You know, he's got his dad's genes, that's for sure. And uh, well, I think uh, the only thing is left is you just got to start poaching people from Widow Jane and other people like that. <laughs> I mean, it's the only way you can start staffing the right people. Well, and you know, um, there's a lot of lot of uh, schools that are focusing on bourbon and stuff. But I mean, I I just don't know if they're getting the trade oriented people. Yeah, I don't. you're gonna you're you're yeah you're right. The talent pool will be not as senior. I guess that's probably the way to put it. Is that yeah. as as these positions start coming up, there's gonna be the talent pool isn't gonna be as 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 big as you think and you'll probably have to either pay more for the particular talent or something like that yeah. just because there's just not a lot of people that know regulatory compliance or how to know mm-hmm. grain processing and those are all skilled things that you have to learn by actually doing it you just don't learn it in a classroom you've got to have some some years of work and yeah. and, and, and history doing that all the front facing pr marketing things things like that i mean someone can come from any industry and do that. Uh, I, I do believe that you need to come from some kind of industrial space um, 
to work inside a distillery or just be really good with your hands and know how to work machinery. You know, I mean, that's those, those to me, those people are, those are gold. They're gold. They're the offensive linemen, the defensive linemen of, of, uh, of bourbon. And, uh, that's the, that's the talent level. Like you walk around these distilleries, you know, a lot of 60 year old men operating them, you know, the, the 20 to 25 year olds, they're not in there. Not many of them anyway. The old blood. Got to, got to find some mm-hmm. new blood in there. That's what it comes down mm-hmm. to. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with some bourbon release news. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. Everybody, welcome back. Bourbon Release News. I promise it's not going to be as much news as we had on just the bourbon industry because I think it was the last time we did, it kind of like flip-flopped. We only had one or two stories to kind of talk about bourbon industry news, but the bourbon release news was deep. There was like 15 new releases, but we only got four here today. So, well, four, I guess, if you include BTAC, so I guess that's, well, nine, but let's go ahead and get into it here. So American rock band Kings of Leon, they have partnered with Willet Distillery to launch a limited edition bourbon and rye whiskey collection. The new, I'm thinking it's Kai Michi, Kai, Kai Michi whiskey. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to probably screw that one up, but Kai Michi. This is revealed during the band's headlining performance at Bourbon Beyond in Louisville last month. The brand was named after the river where the Kings of Leon, composed of brothers Caleb, Nathan, and Jared, and their cousin Matthew, gathered for family reunions. The limited edition Kaimichi whiskey collection includes a five-year-old rye whiskey and an eight-year-old rye whiskey and a 19-year-old bourbon. The five-year-old is a 12-barrel blend of Willet rye mash bills aged in 24-month cured oak from Hofmeister Cooperage, and that's limited to 2,780 bottles and has a 54% ABV and priced at $149. Meanwhile, the eight-year-old is a six-barrel blend of Willet's low rye mash bill aged in nine-month cured oak from ISC 
and that's at 110 proof, and that's limited to 1,171 bottles and priced at $250. And the bourbon was made, you and sorry, and this bourbon that I'm getting ready to talk about, that whole, what was it, the 19-year, it was made using what they call a single-barrel proprietary mash bill and bottled at cask strength with his 56.5%. It's limited to 374 bottles and priced at $1,500. The extremely rare bottling celebrates the anniversary of Kings Leon's first album, Youth and Young Manhood, which debuted 19 years ago. The range is available via kamichiwhiskey.com and will be rolled out in Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Hmm. So that you know why you can't get a Willow Barrel anymore. <laughs> you got to you got to be Kings of Leon. Yeah. Uh. So. Well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's. Um. I rem- I've, I've known about this one coming out for a while, and uh, some of the architects behind uh, the It's Always Sunny whiskey is also, you know, behind this, and it's. Uh, I haven't tasted it yet. It's on. It's on the shelf to taste and. You know, I think I just kind of reserve thoughts on it till I taste it. But it's a great band. Yeah, great band. Got that going for him. I haven't heard of Hoffmeister Cooperage before. See, when you said that, I was like, was that Hopmeyer? Does Hopmeyer have a Cooperage now too? H O, like you know, like the Hoff. That's the but it's Hoffmeister Cooperage. It was uh, that was a new one for me. So I saw that and I was like, okay. Going to the Google. Also interesting to see another 19-year-old bourbon from them come to market. They, I was going to say, they don't have much more stuff in that that high age of stock sitting around. So it's always interesting to see those come out. But aptly probably priced at $1,500 a bottle. They will sell that day in, day out at the gift shop without a problem. So that's not a surprise. Yeah. And and the Kings Leon fans, um, they're high level. They're... Uh, so this is a wine, Hoffmeister's more of a wine cooperage uh, out of Missouri. There we go. Everybody's learning something new this week. Wow. So as a part of their award-winning experimental batch series, Chattanooga Whiskey, they are releasing two new limited edition batches. It's a bourbon barrel aged gin and a Moscatel and Sauternes barrel finished. So Experimental Batch 26 is the bourbon barrel aged gin. It's Chattanooga's Whiskey's second high malt gin release. Crafted from a variety of botanicals, including honey, hibiscus, coriander, and juniper. The experimental gin. Oh, this is actually a gin. It's not, it's, yeah, it's just a barrel aged gin. Never mind. This is bourbon, bourbon pursuit. We're going to go ahead and skip that. It's made from Tennessee high malt mash bill, but it's just gin. So, this is what you all care about. Experimental batch 27, which is the Moscatel and Sauternes barrel finish that brings together two complementary flavors of two unique European dessert wines, the Portuguese Moscatel and French Sauternes. Made from a high malt mash bill that includes yellow corn, single source Italian, Ericlea malted barley, and malted rye. The experimental bourbon was aged for over two years prior to being transferred into separate finishing casks. After an extended finish of nearly two years, the whiskey was reunited. It's proofed at 110. This batch size was only seven barrels, and it's exclusively available at Chattanooga Whiskey's distillery and also in limited quantities. That'll be on sealbox.com. Did I say that right? Sauternes? Sauternes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so those are two very sweet wines. And uh, I got to say, I've always found the malting, the maltiness of Chattanooga to offer kind of like this earthy herbalness. And I'm, I'm, 
I'm kind of curious to see how that sweetness will, what that'll do to, to their, uh, to that style of whiskey. Yeah. You know, All the maltiness you know. usually, it, it kind of really shines through. It's like a whopper at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And so putting yeah. that into a dessert wine, you're right. I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens if we uh, get a sample sent the way. Yeah. I'm, I, I just know that that's a distillery that I've learned not to bet against. You know, when I see when I see one of their press releases and hear all the the maltiness stuff going on, I'm like, hmm, that's that's good. And this is a this is a sidebar from uh, the the last release. Like Willett's now done two, they've done two collaborations with major musicians, Metallica and now Kings of Leon. I'd like to see Chattanooga do something with a musician because they're right there in Tennessee. You know, and this could be. This could be a good one. Like this style could be a good one with like a musician collaboration. Uh, I, I tell you what, they're gonna have to start paying you for all this free uh, free mar- marketing and consulting ideas you're giving. <laughs> no, I do not accept money from them. <laughs> so award-winning bourbon whiskey brand Penelope, they are announcing a limited edition release of its newest bourbon, Valencia. Penelope's first bourbon to be finished in Vino de Naranja casks from Spain. So Vino de Naranja, or Naranja, however you say it, is a 97-proof wine that ages in oak wine barrels and extracts its flavor from orange peels from Spain. Penelope's namesake bourbon is then finished in these wine casks for around 12 months before bottling. It's bottled yet again at 97-proof, and Valencia is the latest addition to the brand's Cooper series. A series which pairs Penelope straight whiskeys with wine casks from the Valencia is Penelope Bernie's, sorry, is Penelope's third expression. I already just said that. So it's it's joining their rosé cask and their tokajai or tokaja cask finish. Tokai. 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 Thank mm-hmm. you. That's why I got to mm-hmm. have you on here to help me with this. So Valencia is now available at online retailers and select liquor stores nationwide with an SRP of $75. And this limited edition production is capped at 1,500 cases. Okay. Well, that was a... Uh... It's a big one. Penelope's uh, developing a name for themselves with these I, finishes. I, you know? Dude, they they're developing a name for themselves in general. Yeah, it, they've been they've been crushing it. Yeah, I've been I've been excited to be able to kind of see their journey where they've grown because they started they started in was twenty eighteen I think is when they started twenty twenty mm-hmm. maybe twenty twenty. I mean it's it's been a they've been on a rocket ship. I guess that's the best way that you could say it. I'm trying to. Yeah, they well I think they have. Uh, properly tapped into properly tapped into uh the bourbon craze like the enthusiasm without w- without doing the over marketing the overhype thing like they don't they don't overhype themselves you know yep and they're really good down to earth guys which i think everybody will be able to get their own fair share of that because they will be on their own episode of bourbon pursuit i think it'll be released here in the next 2 to 3 weeks so nice. stay tuned and it'll be It'll be coming to your feed here. So our last news story, the big one everybody's been waiting for all year. It's the one that just go ahead and just get disappointed now before we start talking about it. And that's <laughs> Buffalo Trace. It's going to be announcing their antique collection. And this includes the perennial favorite George T. Stag. So this year, the team is happy to report that the 2007 Stag Barrels showed up with their classic Stag presence, full of maturity, balance, and flavor. So here is the breakdown. So George T. Stag bourbon which I didn't know this story. They said it was created back in 2002 at the request mm-hmm. of a fan for a well-aged and barrel-strength whiskey. And this year's offering was distilled in spring of 2007, making it 15 years and five months old of bottling. 
It's proofed at 138.7, which is the highest proof for this whiskey in the past six years. And this year's barrels were aged in Warehouse K. William LaRue Weller, otherwise known as Barrel Proof Weller 12, was distilled in the spring of 2010, and the barrels were aged in warehouses C, K, and N, and this bourbon comes in at 124.7. Thomas H. Handy, or what you would call Barrel Proof Baby Saz here, it was distilled in the spring of 2016, making it six years old, aged in warehouses I, L, and M, and weighs in at 130.9 proof, which is the highest proof since 2012. Eagle Rare 17, well, just kind of gave it away there, 17 years old, 101 proof, distilled in the spring of 2005. These were aged in warehouses H, K, and L. And lastly, Sazerac Rye, 18-year-old whiskey. This is actually a blend of 18 and 19-year-olds because the whiskeys for this were, spil- were filled in the spring of 2003 and 2004, rested in warehouses K, M, and P, and it's bottled at its typical 90 proof. Now, they say the retail's uh, SRP is $100, but, you know, good luck. And by the time this airs, I will have tasted all of them. That's true. Uh, I, I, uh, the one thing, the one takeaway I have from all of this is the reaction. You know, every year the reaction's a little different. Uh, last year, people's reaction was the fact there was no stag and kind of focused on that. Uh, today, I had this epiphany and I, and I put it in one of our messages that, this is a kind of a full circle moment for me career-wise because back in the day, we would not cover this. Like uh, I remember you know, John Hansel with Whiskey Advocate was very strict about covering press releases. Like, you know, there, there, was this, there was this idea that by putting out a press release or talking about it without tasting it, we are doing promotions for the, for the brand. And I, I still kind of I still kind of feel that and think that but as the you kind of you and Blake and Breaking Bourbon started coming along you all tapped into the fact that people were hunting bottles and cared about the bottle they didn't necessarily care about the review they wanted to know where it was when it was dropping things like that and so that kind of that kind of started the evolution of of media and now everyone's in a rush to get the photo to get the information Posted on all social media. Social media, I would imagine that the BTAC release has an impression, probably of quarter of a million over 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 a day or two. Like that's how many eyeballs like see the information on it. And every time that you complain about it, every time you hype it up or talk about it, whatever, you're adding to the algorithm, showing that like, hey, let's tell more people about this Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. So. That's that's my one takeaway today was like seeing how people were all pissed off about it and them not knowing how much they are adding to the hype around it by uh, promoting how pissed they are. Well, people are going to get pissed because it's the same argument every single time that you post a press release like this. People are going to say, well, I'm never going to find a bottle anyway. I mean, it's you see it all the time. Mm-hmm. Here's the other the flip side of that, what you said, Fred, is that by the time we would come out with a review it wouldn't matter because mm-hmm. people want the information. And so whether yeah. you, you held and waited for it, that's one thing. Um, but people just, they, they want information. I think that's just kind of what we've all kind of been accustomed to now is that anytime, I mean, this is what all press releases are now. There's no, every press release that comes out, it's, it's about what's coming, what you need to be ready for, not this is what we thought about it. So it's kind of like a, it's a two-stage process. 
So you get the first thing, you kind of like build up the initial hype, you kind of talk about it, and then the samples come in, and then you talk about it again. So it's almost like a cyclical thing where you're constantly just in the consumer's face, you know, barraging with product, which in a marketing effort, that is probably the, the smartest idea there ever has been. They have been so brilliant with how they've done this. And and I I contend that Amy Presky is one of the best whiskey writers ever because she gives so many details in in those press releases, details that she can share, details that sometimes she can't add because they they won't do that at Sazerac, but they are um they that press release is laden with information. So, it's it's a it's a big day in our world. You know, it, it is when, this when is, BTAC drops. This is kind of like uh, you know the the NFL draft or the NBA yeah. draft for for something yeah. like that, right? Everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat, waiting to see what comes out. And you're going to talk about it. They're like, "Oh yeah, stag, it's back, and it's at a high proof." I'm already waiting in line. Get the camping chairs mm-hmm. ready. Uh, something like that. Um, well, we were even talking like, when are they going to announce that they're going to announce it? You know. <laughs> well, this is the first year. It's the first year that Pappy is going to be released before BTAC. Oh, did you ever think about that? Because no, they've had all the, I didn't think about that. they had all the releases, and so now Pappy's going to come out before Antique Collection is. So, and they've consi- they consistently getting later and later. It used to come out in October. Well, they may they may have just started it because like um, they're usually late, you know, from when they say they're going to. But who knows? It's not it's not like um, I'm gonna. It's not, like, it's not like we're going to find one, you know, so whatever yeah. we'll be. We'll, and that's what I think that everybody needs to understand is that, yes, we're, we're very fortunate that we, we are going to get samples of this, which you'll be able to see Fred's review very soon. You'll see me and Ryan give it a review very soon and kind of figure out like where we stand in it. Um, but nobody's handing us full bottles of this sort of stuff. So, you know, it, if we like it, we got to go and hunt for it just like you. Back in the day, though, back in the day, we got full bottles. Uh, <laughs> And, and you know, the thing is, after I reviewed it, I tasted it, I gave it to my friends, I tasted it with them, and, like, I gave, I gave a bottle of Michter's 20 to somebody, and I just saw what that bottle went for on, uh, on auction, it went for $27,000, I'm like, I wonder if that fucker has any appreciation <laughs> for me giving him that bottle. Absolutely not. You know, after we had, after I reviewed it and we tasted it together. I was Probably like, not, but that's, uh, I guess, hopefully, whoever that fucker is, he remembers you. If not, it was maybe a bottle. He's like, oh, what is this thing that's in the back of my cabinet over here? That fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this week in bourbon. So, Fred, how was it? First time oh, doing it. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, this is, my, this, is my, this is my style, you know? I like, I like getting set up with, like, what do you think about this? And, you know, instead of having to prepare for something. Because I can always tell you what I think. The preparation is like, uh, do I have 20 minutes to actually think about what I want to say? No, I just say it. Yeah. I, lo- I loved it. It was great. That's what we do. We wing it. It's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's my style. All right. Well, take care, everybody. Uh, cheers, and we'll see you all next week. Baka sucks. Toodles for Ryan. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs>